Views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if his protection is gone and your enemies are near, if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake, break, and fall, if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all, rise up. No matter if the prize is high in the sky. and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio. A program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate on the issue of 21st century slavery. <clears throat> Hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Pontus, with new abolitionist and actionist Johanna Nalaya, and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On th- <clears throat> excuse me. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking, along with projects and people who help combat it. Today is November 23rd, 2016, on New Abolitionist Radio. Some of the stories we want to cover in this broadcast include, I had the chance to speak publicly with Equal Justice Initiative founder Brian Stevenson at Columbia, South Carolina's Historic Town Hall in an event called Grace, Justice, and Mercy, an evening with Brian Stevenson. I'll share my experiences from that evening. For me personally, after some days of pondering what unfolded, I have formed an opinion about something that has bothered me now for many years. Today is the anniversary of the death of Jordan Davis, shot and killed at a gas station in Jacksonville, Florida, over loud music. And yet here we are with a very similar story of 15-year-old James Means, who was shot and killed while unarmed by a white man for accidentally bumping into him this past Monday. Also, here in my neighborhood of Columbia, South Carolina, an officer has been fired after he was arrested on a sexual assault charge. Jamie Lee Rogers, Sr., 35, is charged with first-degree sexual assault on a minor victim under the age of 11 years. The headlines read, Attorney General Lynch treat defendants as citizens, not cash registers. Well, they wouldn't be saying it if it weren't happening. So tonight, let's go deep. As you know, I was pretty upset at the failure of Colorado to vote out its exception clause for slavery from the state constitution. Well, it looks like a possible recount could happen. Maybe, probably. We'll talk about it tonight. In a report released Monday, global leaders denounced harsh responses to drug use, such as the mass killings of drug users in the Philippines under President Rodrigo Duterte and called for worldwide drug decriminalization. Scotty Reed has a scoop. There is a lot more, and I don't want to promise what time will allow, allow us to cover. So let's save some of that time and get started. 
a writer of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is Anthony Ray Hinton, who was exonerated after spending nearly 30 years on Alabama's death row. He was released on April 3rd, 2015. Our abolitionist in profile this week will be provided by Scotty Reed. We'll cover all of that and more starting right now. You can listen to the live stream on Black Talk Radio's YouTube page. It's a link in our um, on our page there. And if you'd like to share a comment or question, call in toll-free from the U.S. and Canada at 1-866-510-9025 or 704-802-5056. Once more, I'm Max Parthas. What's happening, Scotty Reed? What's up, your honor? Hey, what's going on, bro? You know me. It's just been very, very busy, man, which is good news for broadcasting um, in terms of the station and our reach. I just really have been having to stay on top of things and plus other new people interested in bringing their programming. And I had to explain to a person today that we just don't allow any type of program. You you may have the funds in order to reserve that time for your message but if that's the wrong message and it's in conflict with the station then no okay so lots of inquiries so i've been very busy max i'm very looking forward to um your experience with brian stevenson at this forum uh that they hosted i know you mentioned that last week um um in terms of um um that story is very disturbing that you talked about with the slave catching the 11 year old and there's a similar story not far from me there it's like a little lot of little towns in this area that I live in this rural area and in this little town called Ranlo um it's similar something similar but this guy was like um um this was a male officer white male officer um, mentoring is the word that he used and he convinced the mother to let him mentor her 12 year old daughter and I think she then turned 13 so um, she ended up pregnant and he was trying to force her to get an abortion and then I'm going to try to make this a regular part of the segment Slave, like uh, our intern tag created a group in BTR community called Slave Catchers Chronicles. So let's chronicle the Slave Catchers because it is not about... I'm sorry. Hey, Scotty, in our first year, that was actually our segment title that we used to do, the Slave Catcher Chronicles. Was it? Yes. Wow, that's cool. Maybe that's where Tag mm-hmm. got, got influenced to come up with that name from. So uh, uh, thank you, Tag, for reminding us. But um, the drug policy... They and these are a group a group of white people. It's not black people coming up with these <laughs> stories of corrupt cops and slave catchers and what have you. And then, so I was reading a story earlier today where this lady had an event. Somebody sent that event to me, and it was like cops are people too. So this is like a person who has cops in their family member. And I can understand where they coming from and what have you. But for years and years and years, they have been the beneficiaries of a propaganda effort to make it seem like they're all a bunch of good girls and, and guys. And that has not been the case. That has not been the case. And so I want to make that a regular segment um, because they send theirs out weekly. And I got it yesterday where they just get a collection of stories from across. Whether they dealing drugs, engaging in prostitution, raping children, in addition to putting people into slavery over plants like cannabis, um, 
Also, that's recount on the Colorado. That's big. Want to hear that information as well. So, Max, you put together the night show. We still waiting on your honey, man. So I'm just on for the ride along and, of course, to engineer things from behind the scenes. But also, on a personal note, we uh, do would like to get an update on your daughter. Um, she is going through her last few months of chemotherapy right now. She's been in the hospital for about a week at this point. Uh, she'll be in there for a while longer, and tomorrow we'll be there with her for Thanksgiving evening, having dinner. She's not in, like, an incapacitated state. It's just, you know, the sickness of chemotherapy takes a serious toll, and then having part of your body removed, her whole shoulder was removed and replaced with metal. So uh, having that all at the same time under her weakened condition takes a lot out of it. We're hoping and praying that everything is going to be all right. And we've made it this far. So we've only got a few more months left uh, of chemotherapy, and then hopefully we'll be cancer-free. Now, if you would give people the email address where they can send donations, because it has been financially stressful uh, on the family, as any family would, going or families out there that's going um, through a medical issue like this or, or or emergency, but can you please give out that email address where people can send in their donations? Because again, you still traveling out there, spreading the abolitionist uh, uh, message. So, where can people send in donations to help support you, your efforts, and your family during this difficult time? Uh, well, thank you, Scotty. Uh, the email address for our PayPal account is prismaticdreams at gmail.com, spelled P-R-Y-S-M-A-T-I-C, dreams at gmail.com. And Christmas is right around the corner. You know, you, you don't have to just give us anything, and we appreciate the support if you do, but, you know, Tribal Rain makes handcrafted jewelry that uh, people purchase all over the country. Uh, check out her, her jewelry there and maybe help us in that way by supporting uh, independently owned black businesses, this tribal's business, and she's great at what she does. So you can go to prismaticdreams.com and just click the link for her jewelry there and pick something up as a gift. That would be a great help. So it's P-R-Y-S-M-A-T-I-C dreams.com and just scroll down for the link for Tribal Rain's Prismatic Jewels. All right, man. So you want to take us into tonight's broadcast of uh, New Abolitionist Radio? Yes, sir. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, we uh, we actually ahead of time. You know, we spent about 15 minutes just preparing and, and talking about what the week has brought us. You know, and I, I did want to give a shout out to everybody who is, for whatever your reasons, uh, gathering with family tomorrow. Stay safe. Uh, stay out of the clutches of these slave catchers and enjoy the love and family moments that you might have. Me personally, I'm going to celebrate Thanksgiving, not for the reasons that it was initially started for, but just following the traditions that my family has held for many years of coming together like many others have on this occasion with friends and loved ones. So shout out to everybody that's doing that tomorrow. But just keep in mind the origins of Thanksgiving. That's all. As long as you know what it's all about. Well, I guess we can get hit, go ahead and get into it. Uh, I'll start with the story about our visit in Columbia, South Carolina. You know, we've been following Brian Stevenson's work for years, and we've used his research in some of our own uh, presentations, like the America is Ferguson series, like the Incarceration Nation in Black and White uh, series or video uh, presentation like uh, the Cost of Life video, which showed you know the cost of children being incarcerated. So we've been using his research for years now and expanding on it. He's also done 
many great things when it comes to uh, helping in the abolitionist movement, movement as far as getting people free from death row. He has some testimonies that he can share, certainly, of people who are facing death that are no longer facing death because of his efforts and his group's Equal Justice Initiative. Um, you can check them out. I believe it's at equaljusticeinitiative.org. He's also done a great deal to bringing to light the idea that slavery never ended and was only transformed. These are his words, actually, that slavery was transformed. This is what he believes. Slavery never ended. It was only transformed. Um, and I've been looking forward to getting a chance to ask him a couple questions. One in particular, we did an uh, episode here of New Abolitionist Radio where we watched him do his first national interview. And the interviewer asked him, if you remember, Scotty, so you believe that slavery never ended. And Brian Stevenson, with the opportunity to simply say, yes, this is slavery, it never ended, and here's how, instead at that time chose to, I don't even know how to describe this guy. It was like he just was dancing he around the subject it. trying to be he, he waffled codified. He, yeah, he, hmm? he waffled it. We waffled it, right. So I want to give another opportunity at that in public to be able to answer that question as well as another. So I, I uh, tried to way actually videotaped me at the event asking this question. His presentation was wonderful. He came out with these four different uh, areas that he wanted to see us change the world, that he thought we could change the world in. Uh, I don't have my notebook in front of me. I'll, I'll tell it to you after we listen to the clip itself. But he had these four areas where he said we could change the world and, to, and, and so on. He didn't talk much about slavery or abolition, except slavery as in the legacy of or in the past tense. And then they had this Q&A at, Q&A at the end of his uh, presentation. And uh, when I got up, uh, I got the chance to ask the question I've been waiting for. So, Scotty, it's on New Abolitionist Radio if you have it queued up. Whatever you're ready, uh, it's only a few minutes long. You can go ahead and let the people hear what we had to say. And with the okay. from Brian. All right. I was going to the planning page in BTR, but if you threw it up, uh, it'll, there be, too. it'll be there too, yes. Yeah, it'll be probably be quicker. I'll just go to New Abolitionist page on Facebook. Yeah, <laughs> Facebook, yep. Yeah. And um, so it, yeah, yeah, man. So I do remember, I do recall um, that particular clip we played. And again, like you said, we had been using his research for years, man, and, and citing his alongside of other statistics and whatnot, and just a preponderance of the evidence, and it would show you that slavery was never abolished. I mean, that's really just in the Thirteenth Amendment, which we always push, you know. And and why I do appreciate. Um, Miss Ava's contribution, she kind of waffled on it too, you know what I'm saying? But I mean, I am still grateful for any kind of seeds that's being planted because other people will then research and it'll lead them to more information, hopefully lead them to New Abolitionist Radio and they'll become New Abolitionists. So, uh, so I'm grateful, but I do remember that video and, and his question, and I was just saying, you know, sometimes when you start attracting a mainstream attention or something like that, and then you just don't want to come out and say it like that because you might offend some people out there, and you may not want to bring that sort of heat on yourself, you know. And, and that's why they, that one film director was calling Ava DuVernay 
a patriot for for because he understood this man at the New York Film Festival. He understood that slavery was never abolished, and he was calling her a patriot for it. At that point, we had not yet seen it. And again, I thank her for her effort. I think she could have been more blunt, you know, with a hammer o- over their heads. But again, sometimes you had to feed people just a little bit that'll pique their interest. So she laid down some seed. It's there for others to build upon. So uh, here you are building upon and asking this question. Uh, let me see. There it is. Let me pull it up. Uh, let me just point out that in attendance at this historic location were the mayor, city dignitaries, councilmen, professors, educators, uh, legal experts, all from the surrounding area of Columbia, South Carolina, the capital of the South. And uh, they, they were there to hear Brian Stevenson. And they also got the opportunity to hear the questions from Max Parkinson. Also has to be part of what we target. 
And the legacy of slavery is this narrative of racial difference. There is a line from slavery through the terror, through segregation, through mass incarceration. And as long as we don't acknowledge that line, we're not going to actually see the moral impediment, the moral imperative that we do more to address that. So I absolutely am part of that movement. We, in fact, have been uh, pushing uh, for that reform. It, it took a setback. There's some new tools out there. I'm really proud to be a part of a film uh, by our very talented filmmaker, Ava DuVernay, called 13. Yes. That's one of the tools. The calendar is another tool. We've got the reports that, uh, that Mr. Max is talking about. We want to make those available to anybody. So thank you for posing the question. Thank you for advocating that. We need to be all asking that question to everybody. We don't want to live in a society that still tries to justify and tolerate enslavement for anyone. We can't reconcile that with being a free and just place. So absolutely. Thank you. Trouble There you have it. Live and in color. That's, oh. uh, he had the opportunity to answer that question once again. Oh, man, Max. I was over here getting that electrical current flowing through my body as I heard him just say yes. Soon as you had put Paul <laughs> both of those questions, he did not waffle, okay? He did not waffle on that one. He He scored a touchdown. With that one, and with all the people well, that you said yeah, was yeah, in the yeah. room, uh-huh. all the people that you said Indeed, was you're in right, the room. I'm sorry, what's that, Max? Uh, he scored a touchdown. What'd you say, Scotty? I, I missed it. Yeah, I'm saying he did not waffle that, and he mentioned Avery Duvernay, and like I said, as hard as a hardcore abolitionist, we and people, I can speak for myself, Max has been at this a lot longer than me, but since I have read the 13th Amendment, like you asked that cop and he told you no, I read it 13, I mean I read it four years ago and and the ancestors led me to Max Parkis and Max Parkis led me to some other people and New Abolitionist Radio was born. Thanks, Max, for representing the network, bro. Thanks for representing the network, man, like that. So, um, yeah, man, I was getting that electric current flowing through my body as I heard him just affirm everything uh, that we've been talking about on this program for four years. And, man, I'm, I'm just proud. I'm proud, man. I'm proud. That was a, a proud abolitionist mo- uh, moment right there. Thanks, brother. Uh, it, it came to being through a, a series of events. Of course, uh, Monifa Lemons first invited me, and then I was uh, his one of his uh, organizations or associations, Justice 360. A woman by the name of Mandy reached out to me and wanted me to come in for an interview. But with all the things that was going on in my life, we were just never able to get there for the interview. So they didn't really know uh, where I was going to come from. I was supposed to be on the stage with him just like several of my other colleagues in the uh, spoken word industry were on that day. But as it turned out, I wasn't. I was in the audience instead. And it gave me the opportunity to act as one of the people and speak on behalf as one of the people to him. I had called his office that day earlier and uh, tried to arrange for a personal one-on-one meeting for just a few minutes. You know, I wanted to see how we could collaborate together, uh, one abolitionist to another. And uh, the gentleman that I spoke to treating me like I was just regular media. And I'm like, no, I'm not, I don't want to talk 
on the record. I want to talk off the record as one abolitionist to another. And then he started giving me this hem and haw and run around about how he didn't have time. And I was like, listen, if I don't get to speak to Brian Stevenson as the only abolitionist being represented in that house other than him, I'm probably going to talk about it on our program, radio program, which has international listenership next week. And he's like, oh, that's not fair. But he mistook where I was coming from. You know what I mean? I'm going to report on what occurred, and whatever occurs, including this conversation, is going to be a part of my report. So I just want to talk to the man. It's not like he's talking to a thousand abolitionists every day, you know what I mean, or representatives of the abolitionist movement who are looking to assist him and work together on this project. So that was the first part. So I, they, they told me to send in a request, which I did, and you can meet with him for a few minutes afterwards. But I didn't meet, I meet with him. After I heard what he had to say right there, I decided that I didn't need to talk any further with him. A, I know he understands this thing fully. I mean, his testimony alone and his research is unlike any other. There's no one else on this planet other than him and uh, what's that comedian's name? John, John Oliver. Other than him and John Oliver know about how slavery works in the United States today? Man, I don't know who is. It's, he's one of the people that knows it all. But at the same time, you'll see towards the end, he started focusing on the legacy of slavery. When you start talking about a legacy, you're going from the assumption that this is happening right now to this happened before, and now this is something else. And then he also went in, as you heard, about this direct line through Jim Crow, through mass incarceration, through segregation, and so on and so forth. But literally what they are doing at that point is the cognitive dissonance is setting in, and instead of pointing directly to that one line of slavery, they start pointing to offshoots of it uh, and saying that is Max, part of the Max, legacy. Max. So while Jim Crow was going on, people were building railroads for free. Max, if I could interject there, and I hope I hope that the people who might have heard you ask those very important questions and heard Mr. Stevenson and Mr. Stevenson himself, which I believe we have invited him to the program in the past. I think we have. I, I you know, we've been on for four years and talked to many, 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 many people. So I don't know what went down with that and why he's never been on New Abolitionist Radio, but. But Max, you know, perhaps he's suffering from cognitive dissonance as well. I just did a program yesterday talking about the influence of propaganda. I mean, I'm always talking about propaganda, but I broke it down on how no one is immune from the racist programming or any kind of programming that support racism and white supremacy. And 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 so listen. This is why I talk about some people have tried to debate with me. I see who it's like the chicken and the egg question. Which came first? Which came first? Slavery or racism? Systemic racism. I'm not talking about I don't like you because you fat or I don't like you because you ugly or I don't like you because of your skin color. You always going to have people have humans have always had personal preferences and things that they are attracted to and don't want something. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're racist. They're attracted to who they're attracted to. But when we're talking about as a system, systemic racism, where it is institutionalized through law, 
then the evidence shows me that slavery came first. If we're talking about this continent. Right. Now, some I've heard a lot of people with a lot of great information. People read their books out there and they've talked about the Moors and all Moors means is black. But at one time, they were rulers of Europe over the Europeans. They were Moors. They had conquered for a certain time period. So there wasn't racism or what have you involved there. That was just he who has the most power controls. But there was no, I didn't hear anything about racism until, and again, I don't know everything. There are too many books out there. I can't study everything. But I do know this about this country, this continent that I was born on. My ancestors, some of my ancestors were born on. And I know that in the colonial days, in the 1600s, in the colony of Virginia, is the first place that I saw where race was mentioned in law. And it was the slave codes of Virginia. I think it was 1860, somewhere about there. You can Google this. I have put the information out before, put out memes and graphics pointing out that it was they used that was the first time they interjected race in the slave codes and they were saying that um um it stripped even free black people of their rights to bear arms of self-defense even in the fist fight black people this was in the virginia slave colony all right and, and and so I say that slavery came first and racism is how they kept slavery going because again while people want to deny it back then they didn't have racial classifications you was classified by your region by your nationality your geographical location your citizenship and whatever nation and the Irish were enslaved on this continent and there was a such a thing called Bacon's Rebellion where all the enslaved people by nationality, whatever African nation they were from, uh, whatever uh, uh, tribe in Europe that had been conquered by, by the British usually. And so, and so when they rebelled, the way that the slavers kept the system going was to then create white supremacy and give give make these Irish and other people they consider not to be as as good as them Anglo or whatever and it gave them the white privilege and gave them the jobs of then becoming the slave catchers and plantation you know overseers and, and what have you and we've been dealing with it ever since so I say slavery came first then racism and there has been an unbroken right. chain. There's been an unbroken chain of both. They're interconnected. It didn't start slavery. Didn't start off that way by skin color, but in order to keep it going, that's the caveat that they put in law here in the in the colonies of the United States. Then it just started duplicating, like you was talking about, and we'll talk about later. The exception clause in the state constitutions. So, all, so this race. I know exactly where. Yes, where the weakness of their argument has to be found, 
know exactly where it can be found. Just listening to him, you can hear it, Scotty. Uh, and so, he represents many. But, like Max, let me let me wrap up. Let me wrap up my comments by saying this to Mr. Stevenson. Mm-hmm. Mr. Stevenson, we I, you may be suffering from the programming that I was suffering from. I didn't even know slavery existed until four years ago. I let Steven Spielberg and the propaganda masters at Hollywood and television brainwash me into a lie. So slavery has never ended. So it can be no legacy until something has passed on. See, if I'm going to leave a legacy to my children, that means after I have ended. Right, Max? Uh, Am I being logical here? That's what it means, right? You're you're absolutely right. My legacy legacy is once I have ended. In order for it to have a legacy, implies it ended. So there is no legacy. There is a direct line, and that's the direct line of the generations and generations and generations of the slavers and those being enslaved. And they're still following the Virginia slave codes, and they're and they're mostly, not all, but mostly enforcing it by the color lines. That's all, man. He, he talks about well said, Scotty. And I agree with you. Slavery did come first before racism. Racism didn't meet slavery until, uh, I forget exactly when, in the 1600s, when they switched over to race-based slavery in order to justify what they were doing with the Africans. It was a tool used to reinforce what they were already doing. But as far as this uh, event with Brian Stevenson is concerned, and using him as a representative of many of those spokespeople for movements like this, he gets to the point where he has said literally that slavery was transformed. Okay, Ava DuVernay and then people like us have shown that the transformation occurred immediately upon the enactment of the 13th Amendment. That's the legal transformation when it occurred. It went from slavery uh, in a chattel sense to the state now being the uh, slavers who own yeah, the, the regulators, of yeah, the regulators, the United right. States government at this it time is regulating slavery. Yes. So they criminalized us and then used the prisons as the new plantations. That never stopped at all. That continuation, that transformation went on through Jim Crow. The people who experienced Jim Crow on the outside did not define whether or not slavery ended or changed its direction to be called Jim Crow. They were still selling, renting, leasing, capturing, and using and exploiting black bodies through the prison system while Jim Crow was going on, while segregation was going on, while all of these things were going on while these bodies were being housed in these prisons for profit and used for free labor. So the transformation part is where he makes his error. He starts thinking of symptoms rather than the actual cause and the effect that is going on. And I see many of them doing that same thing. So you know, again, we have Max, these I, leaders I, in our field who we should be able to count on to make well, sense Max, of this I, I, without I'm sorry. cognitive dissonance. I have to disagree, man. I have to disagree. And this, I'm disagreeing on the point. Yes, you are correct. We should expect 
our people who are in these leadership positions. But again, we ain't made no leaders. We ain't voted on nobody. And who the system recognizes as an expert in their field, we have no control over that whatsoever. But again, I'm trying to give people the benefit of the doubt because I'm still learning. I'm still trying to deprogram myself of, of things that have been programmed into me that I feel like I need to get rid of that false beliefs, just customs, tradition, whatever. You know what I'm saying? So that's me working on. So I, I have to give them that leeway. He said he's an abolitionist. He said slavery was never abolished. I get that. I, I and and so, but then as he continued on to explain, that programming kicked in to the legacy. And again, it's the English language. This is also having an under. Uh, uh, understanding or the knowledge of definitions of word legacy means that after I passed on this is this is something that will live on in my name or something like that there is no legacy there can be no legacy until there has been the end of something so that's all I'm just trying to give them the benefit of the doubt go look it up you know I understand I could be wrong You're right brother one of the other things that he missed the point of entirely too uh, was my reference to what the conversation I had with the policeman on the way in. Now this brother was standing outside in full police uh, uniform. He was a black gentleman, maybe about 50 pounds or so heavier than me, maybe a little bit more somewhere around 300 pounds, big brother 6'6 six, six or so and he was the only black cop there uh, maybe half a dozen cops and I decided that I would ask him what I do what, what I ask a lot of these cops because I want to know based on my own experience by asking them whether or not they know there's an exception clause in 13th amendment and the part they play in exploiting that clause and of course he didn't know so when I put it in my uh, context uh, before the question Brian Stevenson said you're right not enough people know about the 13th Amendment. It went on, as you heard, to quote the, the uh, new film that he is in with Ava DuVernay. But here is the problem. It's not that anybody doesn't know. This man is an officer of the law. He has sworn an oath to defend the Constitution to his death. Now, how can you swear to defend something to your death and people's lives depend on your knowledge, and you don't even know what the hell it is that you swore on. You haven't read it. You don't know it by heart. You don't know the amendments or the rights you're supposed to protect, but you're out there protecting them. How do you even protect something you don't even know what the hell it is? The Fourth Amendment is shot. The Sixth Amendment is shot. The Third 13th Amendment is being exploited. The 15th Amendment is being violated. All of these amendments and rights are being violated by the very same people who have sworn an oath to protect them. And that is a big problem. That's a big problem. I don't care if the grocer doesn't know about the 13th Amendment, but I expect the prosecutor to know. I expect the cop to know. I expect anybody whose job it is to defend the Constitution to know what the Constitution says. Yeah, they I mean, give a lot of lip service. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, that makes perfect sense, like the so-called oath keepers out there. And all the only oath you're keeping is to racism and white supremacy, okay? Because when one of your members in Missouri wanted to work with the uh, Ferguson community and have an armed demonstration, legal carry, exercise their Second Amendment rights, y'all kicked him out. 
So you don't give me that oath. You're racist. You don't pay. And Max, throw military members in there too. I was in the military. Yes. And then when I was in the military, I had no knowledge of the 13th Amendment. None whatsoever. Let alone the Sixth Amendment. I, everybody knows about the First Amendment because we all like to run our mouths. Freedom of speech, right? So we all know that one. But the other one's not so much. So, right, the, most people don't. And it's okay for the average person not to know all their amendments to a degree. Although I think through our educational processes, we should make it mandatory that all students are learning about their rights. They should know their rights by heart as they become adults so they can know when their rights are being violated. I mean, that should be standard procedure. And so they but can know that slavery was... swears an oath to defend it should know it by heart. Yeah, I agree. And in particular, a black cop, Scotty, because you wouldn't be wearing that badge. You wouldn't be walking around here following the dictates of these racist white supremacists out in the state house, if not for the 13th Amendment. That's the reason you got where you're at right now, because you were allegedly freed and allowed to be able to do things like this, the 13th Amendment. So for you not to know it as a black cop is shameful. Well, I mean, that is if people are into their um, legacy of being the descendants of enslaved Africans while, again, not realizing that slavery was never abolished. So, hey, if, if my brother, I mean, my brother went to prison for 10 years on a B&E with no evidence and no witnesses, just a man's word, a, a cop's word against his. Set him up, set him up. The paper, the local paper even published that the uh, uh, person who broke in the person's trailer had been shot and they had blood and my brother hadn't been shot. This is all why I'm in the military, right? I'm not here. But it's in the paper. You know, I'm hearing from my, my mom and, and, and all of that. So he spent 10 years a slave. That's why I called him. You know, you, everybody heard the reference to movie and the book, 12 Years a Slave. My brother was 10 years a slave. So guess what? His daughter's and he got all girls like me, and I think he got about six of them. They are the descendants of an enslaved person, an enslaved African. Well, we are a little bit past our first break time. Uh, we got into the conversation pretty deeply there, Scotty, and I think it was well worth it. But uh, what do you want to do at the 840 uh, moment yeah, now? Yeah, let's just take it to the top of the hour and open up the phone lines. We usually have your honey in here, I hope the slave catchers didn't catch him, but it's 866-510-9025, 866-510-9025. Um, Max, you want to move on to another story before we run out of time? Because we tend to do that, man, and that's okay. We start getting deeply. Yeah, I would definitely appreciate any, uh, you know, uh, opinions on the presentation that I had that day with Brian Stevenson and my analysis of it. Uh, you know, again, I, I think that we should be able to count on particular individuals who know so much, like Brian Stevenson and Joy DeGry and Michelle Alexander and Angela Davis and Cory Booker and even Senator Sanders, who all these people have talked about this in detail, but have yet failed to put the pieces together correctly and call this slavery. And I know that once you do that, it changes your perspective completely because it's no longer 
an issue of you're dealing with something that can be reformed or changed. Now you're dealing with a crime against humanity. How do you react to a crime now that is being perpetrated on you and the people who look like you and fellow citizens across the United States? You can't address it any longer the same way you had been. And that is life-changing. So I, I understand the blockage. Yeah, one last but if you thing. Have to, uh, uh, I got one yes. last thing on that. He might have been guilty of, of bundling separate issues, but oh, they are not separate. Racism and slavery is not separate in the way it's being practiced right now. But again, I understand you are used, you're a public speaker, Max, and you probably know that you don't want, when you're trying to get a point home to the audience, you don't want to confuse them with too much information to where, you know, but he was talking to you though. But so so that's for a deeper conversation. But when you putting it out to the audience like that, people who never heard this information first time, you don't you know, no slavery is slavery. Let's just racism is encapsulated in slavery. These are not separate lines or separate issues The racism is slavery. Slavery is racism. There were several things also I'd like to add to this story, Scotty. Uh, so I said, just a little bit more because I did find the four things he said we should do. Uh, and his appeal wasn't to the people who were victims of such things as mass incarceration, but rather to the educators and those who uh, legislate and make the laws or live outside or, or above and beyond what is happening to the rest of the population. And his solutions that he proposed to the select group was the one, get close to the ground zero, get uh, in proximity of the issue. You know, uh, whatever that may be, he went into detail on it. It just basically means you need to get down to where things are happening and see it for yourself. Uh, second thing he said is change the narrative, something that we are working on very hard right here, to change the narrative of what's going on. The third thing was to stay hopeful of course, we also do that. And the fourth thing was willing to do uncomfortable things, uh, willingness to do uncomfortable things. If you'll see here in these four things, not one of them says end slavery. There is no end slavery in there. That's not part of the solutions. Although he does have a plan to reduce the prison population by 50%, and that is unique into itself because I can't think of anybody else who has been talking about reducing the prison population. Even Michelle Alexander only went as far as to say we should consider downsizing (laughs) our prisons like it was a job layoff. (laughs) It is a job layoff, but I know that is not how she meant it. But when you think about it, it is a job layoff. Just because they're not getting paid don't mean it ain't a job. (laughs) <laughs> you know, <laughs> so hey, well, well, for me, like that's we, the top of my list of things to do is free. Exactly, but if hey, I support his efforts to reduce the slave population by fifty percent by any means necessary, and then other people can work on the other fifty percent. So yeah, okay, Let's, well, yeah. Um, don't, we, don't get me twisted for the listeners. Don't get me twisted. I'm not attacking Brian Stevenson. No, I actually not. admire what he's doing, and I want to help him. But at the same time, we've got to be on the same page. You're living in two worlds. You've got two minds going on here. and It, it can't be both. We've made up our mind. We know what this is. But, you know, certain individuals like Brian Stevenson and them out there are uh, dealing with issues that uh, we've surpassed, apparently. We don't have to deal with cognitive dissonance on a way that they do. We don't have to deal with double think. We say it like it is and we live it like it is. We're not trying to uh, tailor our arguments 
to people who have who really are not the victims of this problem. The perpetrators. It sounds like you you mentioned the pure crowds you mentioned <laughs> some of the perpetrators. Of it. Right. Yeah. Right. But Max. Max, um, we got a, uh, some calls yes, on the board, but I don't know if they have a question or comment. Let me just give the further instructions because I don't think I gave them. But if you have a question or comment um, for us on New Abolitionist Radio tonight, just hit star star. The telephone number is 866-510-9025 and star star. It'll unmute you and light up your profile. Then I know to bring you in. So. Uh, yeah, uh, Max, do we want to move to the next story? Cause I'm, yes, sir. Yeah. Um, today is the anniversary. Uh, we're going we're to talk about the anniversary of, uh, pardon me, pulling up this article right here, Jordan Davis's death, the anniversary of Jordan Davis's death. And uh, I've got an article here with this big-ass pop-up in the middle of it. Sorry about that. <laughs> and it tells us about what happened with Jordan Davis. 23 months after Michael Dunn shot and killed Jordan Davis, a judge sentenced the 47-year-old man to life in prison Friday. Dunn uh, will serve life in prison without possibility of parole for the death of Jordan Davis in 90 years for shooting at the three other teenagers. At the sentencing, Jordan Davis's family and friends struggled to sobs to read their prepared statements about life without Jordan. Ron Davis gasped as he finished, and he embraced Lucia McBath, Jordan Davis's mother. Five jurors from the September trial sat in the jury box watching. Several wept and wiped their tears and noses with tissues. The judge, the judge decides the sentencing, so the jurors came on uh, their own as spectators. Prior to sentencing, Judge Russell Haley reminded Dunn three people were shot at that night and easily could have been killed. To lose a child is a parent's worst nightmare, he said. Mr. Dunn, your life is effectively over. This case seems to exemplify that our society seems to have lost its way. That's a hell of a thing for a judge to say, and it's true. Lost its moral compass. Our thoughts and discussions ought to be about how we should treat one another. It's not whether we can do something or act in a certain way or whether we have a right to do something, but whether it's right and necessary and prudent. For those who don't know, he shot the 17-year-old child over loud music at a gas station in uh, Florida just because of there well, was loud Max, music Max, and he decided he, that was worth killing him for. Max, if I could yes. interject, I hope I, I think you're being sarcastic there, but yeah, he didn't kill him over no loud music. I'm sure that ain't the first time. Well, that's, that is sarcastic. Yeah, that that's, ain't the first the time. Yeah, that ain't the first time. Yeah, you reading the article, so yeah, uh, to be expected. Propaganda, got to filter it. So, but yeah, they, they make no mistake that he killed Jordan Davis because he is black, and this is a white man with certain long-held beliefs, and let's just call it slavery and racism and white supremacy. That's why he killed him. Yeah, he, he felt he, he had the right to. Exploit, stand your ground laws and yeah. ended up with 90 years for it. Um, but you're, you're right. That was the main reason that he killed these, this young black teenager over some loud music is because he was a young and, black and teenager. And not and just killed him, Max. Not just killed him, but mm-hmm. he was charged with the attempted murder of the other teens that was in the car. Three others, yep. Car full of young children out there listening to music. And uh, he fired indiscriminately at all of them. Mm-mm-mm. So, so that judge exactly said. a year ago 
today. And uh, our prayers and thoughts are going out to Davis' family and what they have been enduring. I know even though he went to prison, that does not make their hearts any less heavy in this situation. Well, I'm, I'm sure of that. I'm, I have something to say. I'm not attacking Lucy McBath in any way. I'm not doing that, okay? But she was like a whole bunch of other victims of Hillary Clinton and out there fronting for a person, uh, part of a duo that's most responsible for the slavery population numbers that we have. Most responsible, along with the Republican Party. Y'all don't get off the hook. Don't say, oh, the Democratic plantation. Y'all run plantations too, okay? You all, matter of fact, I don't think there's much. Y'all will be working together in the areas that y'all see eye to eye on and y'all see eye to eye on slavery. So, okay? So, but, but, um, she was out there pimping for Hillary Clinton, and but the judge's words said that we've lost our moral compass. Well, when did you ever have one is the obvious answer, but it is um, it was exemplified by the two people nominated, thrown up for by these two parties to become the next CEO of USA Inc. So, more talk to me again about a moral compass. We're talking about millions of people who are either voting for a racist who said he support private prisons and therefore slavery, who still refuse to acknowledge the innocence of the um, uh, Central Park Five, I think they're called, uh, uh, even after DNA yep. evidence has cleared them, and, and said he thinks private prisons are great. And he's going to lock up a whole bunch of immigrants and what have you. And and so then you had Hillary Clinton with her her uh, history called people like Jordan Davis a super predator. I don't know. Jordan might have been one or two years old when was he born? When she said that he probably was still in the crib. He wasn't even in the crib yet. wasn't even a twinkle in his father's eye. So so I'm saying, man, and then and man, and, but she then she a victim. Not blaming her, but like you were saying, Max, about leaders having a being a victim does not make you a leader in anything. And and like some people say, why do we need leaders? Be the leader of one. Now let's just call it collaboration. Work well with others. So and I just well, man, it's just sad, man. It's just sad. But again, it, it, it is, is very no sad. And here we all find ourselves a year later dealing with the same circumstances again with James Meads. And this story comes from the New York Times, and uh, of course, uh, Sean King, who has been prolific in keeping stories like this out there in mainstream. Uh, you will know his this name, he says. Tragically, it, is, it now belongs in the ever-increasing roll call of unarmed black victims of racial violence. On this past Monday evening, outside of a Dollar General store in Charleston, West Virginia, 15-year-old James Mean was shot and killed by, Ronald, uh, by William Ronald Pulliam, 62 years old, police said. Means like uh, Emmett Till and Jordan Davis and Trayvon Martin before him did nothing to ever even warrant a confrontation from Pulliam. Witnesses claim that what set Pulliam off was that Means accidentally bumped into him while entering the store. And if you could see this picture of this child 
to be breaking your heart right now. It's on New Abolitionist Radio, by the way. After Pulliam left the store, the two exchanged words a second time, and Pulliam shot the team twice in the abdomen, leaving him to die, then proceeded to go home, <clears throat> eat dinner, then go hang out at a friend's house, according to a criminal complaint. In 2012, when Michael Dunn shot and killed teenager Jordan Davis because the music in his friend's car was too loud, he did virtually the same thing. Dunn, a 47-year-old white man, after firing 10 rounds into the car full of teenagers, went back to his hotel room, watched television, ordered pizza, and poured himself some drinks. After Pulliam's arrest on Tuesday morning, yesterday, police said that he expressed no remorse whatsoever for killing the team, but simply said, the way I look at it, that's another piece of trash off the street. Pulliam had a previous run-in with his Hispanic team, according to local reports, and when the boy called the police on Pulliam, they were simply told they needed to stay away from him. But here we are, a young boy described by family as being able to light up a room even on the darkest of days is dead. While I commend local law enforcement for this speedy arrest, you must forgive my skepticism, King says. I've seen far too many young black boys die like this only to have their families be denied any semblance of justice. Now, instead of preparing for Thanksgiving dinner, the family and friends of James Means find themselves struggling to make sense of how truly ugly our country can be. And that's New York Times, Sean King. All I think about is the report. What was that? Every 28 hours? Not just the slave catchers, yep. but the wannabes and uh, and just straight up racist animals out there, man. It shows that, uh, for one thing, Trump didn't bring this in. It was already here. He's just giving it a focal point. He's empowering what was already there. What they were doing in the dark, they're not doing in the light. They'll say the N-word on national television now like it ain't nothing but a G thing, babe. I mean, uh, it just doesn't matter anymore to them. So they're, they're feeling politically empowered, and instead of operating from shadows, now they have legitimacy. Uh, hey, like hey. the interview that was recently done with that alt-right leader on TV1 uh, with, uh, what's his name? Uh, get the anchor's name. Ron, Ronald? Scotty, you know his name? No, I, I don't. Yeah, I, I don't. Uh, I'll pull it up anyway. But yeah, you had this nutty guy come on who's the leader of the alt-right, and we featured him on our video uh, in regard to in regards to um, the I'm trying to think of the title. I'm at a loss of words after that last article today. It's just got yeah, my yeah, mind Max, a little messed me up go about back. reading about another child dying. But uh, the the series that we did with um, Frederick Douglass, which is I denounced this so-called this so-called abolition as a stupendous fraud in that we actually use him specifically as an example of what was happening within this white alt-white community and how they were legitimizing themselves in politics and here we are a year later with the manifestation of that happening yeah man I wanted to say something yeah yeah um when you mentioned you mentioned something about people saying uh nigger on yeah you hear him now saying it on uh 
on the news channels. Uh, they'll, they'll say it in a way where they're just repeating what someone else said. But there was a time when they didn't even dare do that. Now it's pretty commonplace. Well, you know, um, that's how white, that's how racists practice codification when they say N-word. Just say the word. Just say the word. It, it, the government allowing them to say the word, that just let you know the government racist. And Trump ain't even in office yet, so can't blame him for that. But let me, I'm always self-reflecting. I'm willing to point the finger at the racist, but I also had to point the finger at the proxies. And I just thought it pretty odd that NBC, I think you mentioned NBC, don't they host Saturday Night Live? I'm not sure. I think so. Okay. Dave Chappelle talking about Donald Trump and he said nigger and it was unedited. This is broadcast television. This is internet radio. <laughs> it's a difference on the on the internet. <laughs> it is not FCC regulated. The government regulates it, but in terms of content and speech, they kind of don't. Okay. So that's a good thing. But so this is the FCC airwaves though. This is, you know, yeah, it's coming on at 11 o'clock at night after, you know, the hours where children post being bed, according to FCC regulations. But but you let him say nigger. You let him say pussy, I think he also said. Mm-hmm. And they were not fine so for it. I, they were not fine for it. I don't see anybody else in the media making a big stink of it, including the media watchers, so-called. But um, um, so Dave Chappelle, I just read that he just got awarded two live specials on on Netflix. Three. 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 Yes. See, damn, that's a lot of butter biscuits for for being a proxy. And I like Dave Chappelle. He's a funny guy and he talks about racism in his comedy. And, and I think he's done more to help than hurt. But he shouldn't have done that. He shouldn't have said nigger on on NBC on the FCC airways because now everybody gonna say, well, Dave Chappelle said it. Again, nigger, they're not supposed to say these sort of curse words and profane language and things of that nature on FCC regulated airwaves. So I was paying attention to that. Again, I am the founder and and president of a of a, a media a media nonprofit. And we have along helped others campaign against this sort of stuff on broadcast television. You can't call it censorship because we got the internet and you got cable, what people pay for, where they can say all those sort of things. But we're talking about broadcast television. We got to hold the line there, people. This is why we have on, uh, collaborate with Clear the Airways Project out of um, uh, Gary, Indiana, in the Chicago uh, suburbs. And we partnered with them to clear the airways on these quote unquote urban channels that's using all this profane language programming children and everybody else listening to be pimps, to be prostitutes, to be not saying man, just so much. Anyway, um, yeah. Well, we're at a top of the hour. You want to take our break and when yeah, we come back, we'll talk about the Columbia, South Carolina officer who was uh, molesting and was girl under 11 years old yeah sick man all right so we'll be back something like that hurts your heart man yeah 
Well, you're listening to Abolitionist Radio here with Scotty Reed and Max Parthas. Hopefully, you're honored to be in before the uh, program is ended. He's uh, handling his corporate affairs these days. Uh, we'll be right back after these messages. Black Talk Radio Network is made possible in part with help from the Black Talk Media Project, a North Carolina-based nonprofit engaged in the production and distribution of independent digital black media. Find out more by going to blacktalkradionetwork.com or blacktalkmediaproject.org and look for the menu tab, Crowdfunding Black Media. Black Talk Media Project, helping to provide you with new black media for the new millennium. to Black Talk Radio, new black media for the new millennium. Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network broadcasting every Wednesday at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, running up to about the uh, quarter to 10 hour. Tonight will be followed by the Lotus Place coming up at 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. Open lines on the Lotus Place tonight, but on New Abolitionist Radio, we're talking about 21st century slavery and human trafficking. There are no broken lines. Okay, none of that. Um, so, if you have a question or comment, hit 866-510-9025 on your telephone keypad. If you want to chime in, hit star, star. Max, you may have to unmute yourself, man. I, I don't know what's going on with my board. It seems to have frozen up. Are you there? Can you hear me now? Yes, it's just, okay, there it go. It cleared up. All right, Max, we're back. Sorry about that. Word. And if you want to uh, uh, get in the interactive chat room, we've got one of those now at uberconference.com slash Network. So we even got a chat room for New Abolitionist Radio now if you want to interact with others to share information. Yeah, I'll put um, that so in the um, description. The Please do so now. Yeah, I'll put, a, um, I'll put the link to the chat in the YouTube video because I don't turn on that chat because there's nobody there to monitor it. So if you do want to chat uh, with people, ask questions from the chat, uh, just hit that link. Again, as Max said, uberconference.com slash Black Talk Radio Network. Well, I'm here in the uh, South Carolina, state of South Carolina, and we're in East Over now, but for years we lived in Columbia, South Carolina, on the home there, the whole nine yards, and I'm just right outside of it right now. And I've got four little granddaughters that run around this, you know, this area, as well as a couple of daughters that are running around here. And we may not be Baltimore or Ferguson, but we've had our issues, not only with 
state violence, but also with institutional racism. I was a participant in bringing down the flag. We literally uh, had an uprising of the people of South Carolina against racist white supremacy where it got physical, and we threw the KKK out of the Capitol, literally and physically. (laughs) (laughs) I saw that, Max. Hey, <laughs> they were whooping ass. Well, so yeah, man, we we've had our issues over the years. Uh, we've seen murders by police here in South Carolina reach a fifteen year high. That included nine, uh, that included people like Walter Scott and the young uh, brother, um, the, the young white brother, sixteen years old, I believe he was, who was killed exactly by police over some marijuana on his date. Um, as exactly well as the him. young man who was shot at a gas station. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Scotty, you were trying to say something? Yeah, I was trying to say that that white boy's name was Zachary Hammond. Zach- and then Hammond. after yes. they killed him and his body was in the parking lot, the slave catcher then had the other slave catcher, or I don't know if he did a selfie of himself uh, high-fiving the boy's corpse. Right, right. So we deal with so this is the capital of the South, people. <laughs> I mean, we're dealing with some serious racism down here. We had the flag over our heads for just by our whole lives for generations until last year. Uh, that's just how recent they had to come down, and I was a part of that. But we've been dealing with these corrupt police and racist police for quite some time here. And here's the most recent one, which is frightening. Uh, Columbia, South Carolina, a Columbia police officer has been fired after he was arrested on a sexual assault charge. Jamie Lee Rogers, senior, 35, is charged with first-degree sexual assault on a minor victim under 11 years of age. An incident report states that between May of 2013 and August of 2013, Rogers made a female victim engage in a sex act with him at a location in Lexington County. The arrest was made by the Lexington County Sheriff's Department. Columbia Police Chief Skip Holbrook says as soon as he learned of the charge, he terminated Rogers. Oh, if only that meant something else. We must be prepared to act swiftly any time we learn of an officer violating the public's trust, Chief Holbrook said in the statement. Although the Lexington County Sheriff's Department has and continues to conduct thorough investigation, it is this agency's responsibility to hold accountable officers for criminal misconduct and any abuse of authority. Rogers has been with the department since March of 2012. He most recently been assigned to North Region patrolling an area of North Columbia. That's the story. What you don't hear in here is the same thing we tell you every single time. You get these criminal devils who belong in the ground and not in a cell and nobody bothers to check their records. You find out that they're, they're beyond criminal, that they're monsters, and you're not even talking about seeing what they've done since 2012. Are there any other victims? This is the end of your conversation now. He raped a little girl over and over again. We don't care if he did anybody else. We don't care if anybody else has been affected by him who was in office, uh, in, in uniform, doing these things. No, we don't care. We're just going to prosecute him for this one thing because he was never wrong until we found out about it. It's just a terrible idea, man. Like, this should be some law. I mean, to our, our legislators out there, you know I'm right. This should be some law that any time an officer is charged and or convicted for a crime 
all of his records should be examined because criminals don't just start the day you catch them. How many other kids have been raped by this man? That's what I want to know. And he looks like a damn monster. If you see his picture, which is available on our Facebook page, our New Abolitionist Radio, as well as our community page, um, you'll see. It's like a damn monster. And these are the people that we're dealing with here in South Carolina. Scotty? That's why I'm um, bring that corrupt cop stories, uh, make it a regular segment, man. We got to squeeze it in there. All right, well, let, let's do that, Scotty. Let's go from one to the next, man, and try to get as much as we possibly get in this week. Well, they, yeah, um, they give God. you like a week's worth of stories and the short synopsis and everything, so I appreciate their work, man. Word. All right, uh, you want to you wanna take that then? Oh, take what? I'm sorry, Max, you lost uh, me. What's the next um, story? You said you wanted to move to an, uh, another story that was oh. also related or similar? Um, yeah, well, actually, you got an article from Stop the Drug War. I was just talking about them. Right. And I was just right, talking right. about this yesterday. I, I was talking right. about cannabis and how a lot of black folks and victims of white supremacy are under the influence of reefer madness, the influence of white supremacy propaganda. And I had mentioned that how these nations are forced to enforce the so-called drug war um, even against, I mean, look at the guy in the Philippines, man, how he just slaughtering people. You know, he's a Catholic, so he got that going on. Uh, total brainwashing of him as a non-white person. And now he's going on a rampage and, and even comparing himself to Hitler and killing people who either use drugs or sell drugs. Again, we could just be talking about cannabis. Or we could be talking about the plant that a lot of people in the USA is important, I think, from... No, not he's in the Philippines. No, that that other plant that they were trying to criminalize is in Thailand. But but um, I said that this is USA Inc. Globally, they got DEA agents in Africa. These are the things I was talking about. And why we have been so brainwashed with this drug war propaganda to where we are just uh, uh, state, stating stuff that's just unscientific. But I said in order for them to advance this slavery policy, because that's obviously what it is. It is not drug policy. It is slavery policy. That's what it is. And I, we've told you slavery is global. Geo Group just don't operate inside the United States. Correction Corporation of America just don't operate slave plantations in the United States. These are global companies. Okay? So these are slavery policies, not drug policy. So in this article, it says in a report, and, and by the way, the UN made that happen. The UN, the United Nations, I've said, has spread <coughs> slavery and white supremacy. So in a report released on Monday, it says global leaders denounce 
harsh responses to drug use, such as the mass killing of drug users in the Philippines under President Rodrigo Duarte and call for worldwide drug decriminalization. Now, that's a big deal right there. So all them people that this this maniac, the U.S. slave policy has unleashed in the people of the Philippines, I will view them as martyrs. Because now they he has embarrassed them to the point that they got to admit that they're responsible for this. The same way that they portrayed Jews in Germany as being less than human, criminalizing them and, and to be exterminated. The same the U.S. has done against anybody non-white. But also, for their slave policy purposes, portray people who use drugs like this. Again, I want to rehash the program I did on uh, Tuesday, yesterday, check it out. So this is big deal. Doesn't mean there's going to be any change, but this is just acknowledgement. This is just acknowledgement that everything we've been telling you is the truth. And they're being forced to recognize that truth. But the United States is just as responsible because they give this man, this country, the Philippines, millions of dollars to enforce the global slave war slave policy calling it the drug war so let me continue on the report advancing drug policy reform a new approach to drug decriminalization I'm getting some feedback off of somebody line let me see if somebody unmuted themselves Ross I'm going to come to you I'm going to mute you because I'm getting feedback that might be coming off Max but I don't think so but I'm going to come to you Max but let me continue let me get this information out and we'll open up the phone line. The report, Advancing Drug Policy Reform, A New Approach to Drug Decriminalization, is a product of the Global Commission on Drug Policy, a high-level panel that includes former U.N. Secretary General Kofi Annan, former presidents of Brazil, Colombia, Mexico, and Switzerland, and British philanthropist Richard Branson, among others. Since its inception in 2011, and I remember reporting these same names associated with this on, on Black Talk Radio News, but since its inception in 2011, the commission has consistently called for a drug decriminalization, but this year's report goes a step further. Unlike existing decriminalization policies around the world where drug users still face fines or administrative penalties, the report argues that no penalties at all should attach to simple drug possession. Only then, the report says, can the societal destruction caused by drug prohibition be properly mitigated? And the report breaks new ground, more new ground, by calling for alternatives to punishment for other low-level players in the drug trade, including small dealers who sell to support their habits, drug mules, and people who grow drug crops. Many of those people, the report notes, engage in such activities out of economic marginalization. I was just saying that to somebody in a private conversation and I'm also mentioning it time and time again that a lot of these times people do this out of necessity because of racism and, and employment. Whether you're trying to become an entrepreneur, whether you're just trying to get a job, the racism. 
And so some people are forced into that underground economy. Uh, and they are acknowledging this in this report. So they engage in such ap- activities out of economic marginalization, a lack of other opportunities or coercion, yet face severe sanctions ranging from the destruction of crops to imprisonment and even the death penalty. Unlike people caught with drugs for personal use, however, the commission envisions such low-level players being subjected to civil penalties although not criminal ones. Why why penalize them at all? But I will say this, and we're going to go to the phone lines, that uh, Wachovia, which was bought up by and swallowed up by Wells Fargo, which invests in slavery, this prison slavery stocks, which shot up, but they were caught and they aren't the only ones laundering drug money from Mexico, helping to launder drug money. And they were no, nobody was prosecuted. We know the story. We see it in the headlines repeated over and over. Where we're talking about the banking fraud. They went on through the mortgages and securities fraud and all of that. Nobody was prosecuted criminally. People just paid fines. And that 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 has happened. In in this case, Wachovia, no executive, no lower manager, nobody. And they just paid a portion. Not all. The government did not seize all of the cash like they do people on the street. You and me, if we were to found, have done, they seize our house, seize our, any property. Oh, this, you bought this with drug money. They didn't even seize the entire amount that was identified as drug money in these banks. They only took a portion. They took their cut. And then the banks did not, in a deferred prosecution agreement is what they call it, did not admit to any wrongdoing, just like Donald Trump ain't admitting to no wrongdoing and certainly the many lawsuits that he settles. So let's go to Ross. Ross, if you could hit star star and unmute yourself, my board froze up again. Uh, please chime in with your question or comment. Uh, good evening. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Thank you please, for sir. calling in. Uh, greetings to you, Brother Max. Greetings to you, Brother Scotty. Um, just a great show. Um, brilliant information. And uh, Max, you're my hero. I love what I heard. <laughs> I love what I heard when you played the um the clip um it was really awesome and it's a beautiful thing to bear witness to that this information is um being disseminated on to a much wider audience for sure um first i want to say oh yeah you guys are are incredible and i just want to say thank you um just for the whole idea of the new abolitionist movement and that whole concept because i remember reading i'm 43 but I remember reading the 13th Amendment in my early 20s. And when I was at, this is, geez, you're talking like the, the early 90s. And I remember the conversations that I was having because really the whole idea of uh, prison, prison being a system of, of slavery was just non-existent at that point, at least in New York when I was growing up. So to even try and have a viable conversation about it, it just wasn't going anywhere. So... I didn't at that time, because I was so young, I did equate it with slavery, but I didn't equate it on a wider scale. And mind you, I know many people, including family members, that have been enslaved and put in prison. So um, when I came across you guys' show, it kind of, you guys resurrected 
that for me. And then the at times change because I think more people are aware, and as a result, we can have viable conversations about it in a way that, for me, was non-existent, non-existent in Brooklyn, New York, back in 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 the early '90s. So I really want to say thank you for that because this is so necessary. And um, also when you were talking about which came first, the chicken and the egg, um, I've always been of the understanding that racism came first, and this is just from studying global history. And the reason why is because the oldest known incident of uh, racism in a holistic form practiced by white people was when they first invaded Egypt during the, um, the first intermediate period. And that was a time for the first time when foreigners actually took over the throne of Egypt. This was from like 2181 to 2055 BC. Well, so roughly so we're about talking the Romans. Years. We're talking the Romans, right? Um, well, these were the Hyksos, which were basically um, precursors to the Jewish people, and they were white. And when they came into Egypt, um, and you can read about this in a book called The Destruction of Black Civilization by um, Chancellor Williams. And in the book, he discusses the fact that they, they, they started the buffer class by raping the black females first. They mistreated all the black people. And basically, those who chose to stay in northern Egypt at the time were basically miscegenated. And those who didn't went either south or they went to other parts of Africa, Africa to, to escape the brutality that the, the Hyksos had brought to the Nile Valley at that time. And what I, I've come to understand and where I agree with you is that in the Western Hemisphere, um, the sl slavery is where white supremacy was birthed as far as the prison industrial complex, because originally it was the white people that were slaves when they were brought here. And over time, what I've come to find is that white people have practiced racism wherever they were long before modern times. But in modern times, as far as when I say modern times, I'm talking about the 1400s, 1600s. That is when they came to a global understanding as a, as a pan-European understanding that we have to do something on a global scale. Whereas if you study their history, wherever they went, they practiced racism. But that whole idea of the, because even slaves, the original slaves are white people. The term slaves come from Slavic people. So any of the European groups, which are named Slav, uh, Yugoslavia, Czechoslovakia, Slovakia, all of these places were where the original slaves came from because the, East, the Eastern Bloc Europeans were enslaved by the Western Bloc yeah, Europeans Yeah, that's what originally. I was talking about, by nation. So nations. what they did, like you said, is... I'm sorry, that's what ahead, I meant by saying by nation and whatnot. But uh, the chicken and the egg, that's, I mean, yeah. I forgot about Chancellor Williams' mm -hmm. book, but the Hitchhikes or the white people that, that you talked about, I yes. mean, they practiced slavery because of their race, so I guess it could be accurate to say they were born at the same time, slavery and racism. I, I know slavery probably was, as we know, they practiced slavery against each other. But like you were just, before I interrupted Absolutely. you, talking about it was in the United States, in the cotton, well, not the United States, the colonial uh, so-called Americas um, that they birthed global white supremacy. Absolutely. And that's, that's, that's exactly what it is. And that's why I love the way that you discuss white supremacy and racism and or, and the way that it functions in relation to the prison industrial complex because it, it's, you couldn't be more accurate in that assessment and the information that you bring in regards to that. And the last thing I wanted to touch on is um, when you were talking about, the, was it a cop that raped the 11-year-old child? Is that correct? Yes. Yes. On-duty wow. policeman. Uh, 
Wow. I mean, it's crazy because I post quite a bit about... Yeah, I post quite a bit about this very thing on BTR, the fact that raping children is white culture. Um, I just posted a couple days ago that a white couple literally raped their own child, and I think she was four years old. So, I mean, like, this is something that they've done their entire history. And a matter of fact, you can read in The Iceman Inheritance, Michael Bradley talks about from the the cave days, they were raping women and children. So this is nothing new. This is their actual culture, and the reason why that they did not um, pursue digging into his past to find out about the other children, and I'm sure he's raped because more than likely that's not his his first time doing it, um, is because they protect each other. They protect each other in a way in which they can either get off lighter than they would or that they um they can potentially even get away with it altogether and keep their jobs. And I mean, you can look at Donald Trump, who is a pedophile. He's connected to to um, Jeffrey Epstein. So is Hillary Clinton. So is Bill Clinton. So I mean, it's their culture to rape children. It is their culture to abuse and rape men, women, and children when it comes to people of African descent. And we have to start really looking at the people that we deal with on a daily basis that that call themselves white. You know, identify themselves as white. Because the fact is, a lot of these people function in deviant ways that are not expressed in public in public scenarios until something like that breaks. As far as a story like this, or a Daniel Holtzclaw scenario where he was just basically wholesale raping black females. I believe it was over 30 females that he actually um, was accused of raping, but he only went to trial for 13 of them. And they actually have a billboard down south um, stating that he might be innocent. Somebody, I think it was me that posted that article about um, his his family coming to his defense. And they're going to put out some some uh, TV show down south that's supposed to um to speak about his innocence, and they have a giant billboard saying, "Could he be innocent?" I was just so nauseated by by that article, but um yeah, just I just wanted to throw that out there that this is their culture, this is what they do, and we don't understand it because we don't understand what they've done to us. And I'll say for people to understand white terrorism and rape on black people and black children, there's a great book called The American Slave Coast. And in that book, they detail the wholesale rape of black men and black women specifically, um, and also the fact that um, they created breeding farms. Essentially, Thomas Jefferson was involved in the creation of these breeding farms where as soon as a, a young black female was uh, had her first period, and some of them were as young as 10 having their first period, they would either, the white man would rape the young girl, or, or they would force a black adult male to rape that young girl in order to have her breed children. And her entire life, from the time she has her first period, she would basically be breeding children for them to sell. And then what they also did is they had a a concept called fancy girls. And the fancy girls were basically um, children of miscegenated rape. It's basically children of uh, white men who raped black women. And these were their own daughters. And that they would take these women and send them to other plantations for other white men to rape them and prostitute their own children for money. So this is, and this in that book, American Slave Coast. This is something their own children they would actually send them and because they were light light skinned they were considered more valuable sexually speaking um than the darker skinned black females so they would literally send their own daughters to, to other plantations for other white men to rape them and then collect the money from them their own daughters being sexually terrorized so this is their culture and we have to really really like think about that heavily and really understand that you know the kind of deviance that they're capable of is stuff that you don't hear about until a major news incident breaks out because they do it all the time. They just do it in secret, and they don't tell their own deviance.
lesbians in public. They never discuss it, and they force our ancestors to also keep their secret. So that is why books like that are necessary for us to understand what we're dealing with. And another book that deals specifically with the wholesale rape of the black male, which, which is almost never discussed during slavery, is called The Delectable Negro. And it's, the subtitle is um, uh, Cannibalism and Homoeroticism in U.S. Slave Culture. It is one of the most eye-opening books on the wholesale rape of black black people and specifically black males. Thank you. And I'll, I'll mute my line and continue to listen. Word, excellent contribution and knowledge, indeed. Um, you're listening to New Abolitionist Radio. It was Scotty Reed, Max Parthas. We're going to take a quick station identification break, and when we come back on the other side, we'll have some more stories for you. Podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. Please welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio uh, here on blacktalkradionetwork.com. Uh, new media for a new millennium, and that's what we're doing. As Brother pointed out, you know, we're trying to show you new ways of looking at something. Sometimes, when you're dealing with new circumstances, you might have to go back and look at it in old ways because it may not be the first time we've dealt with this. And this is certainly not the first time we've dealt with modern-day slavery and human trafficking. It's been an ongoing issue now uh, since this country's inception. Since you know, the Max, very beginning. One, Unbroken. Yes, sir? One additional thought on that uh, last story that we were just talking about, and there is yes, my mind just going all over the place um, just other stories I've read about through the years and the reason why they may not want to investigate it further is because it could lead not only to other victims but a ring that other slave catches are participating in you know again as Jeffrey Epstein was mentioned and and so um, I, I just my mind goes back to the bush what was the name of that boys town I think it was so that's why that's why oftentimes they want to move on and I'm also thinking they want to protect the brand gotta protect see their whole authority is hinged on our the public when I say our but the masses acknowledging the authority so in order for the masses to acknowledge your authority you got to program them to to in a certain kind of way to recognize that authority and you do and people are not going to respect an authority where you have these type of stories always occurring with these people again these people are no different than anybody else police are made the up only of way the society they get their respect today is at the end of a gun with the threat of prison. Those are the two reasons right there that they use, the two ways they use to keep everybody in But I'm talking about, no, not just that. With the threat of prison. But not just that. Millions more are submit to them. They don't have to worry about no guns or nothing. They run to them for help. Just like the people in in, um, 
uh, the Danzinger Bridge in Louisiana saw the men in the uniform and whatnot and went running towards them, flooding, you know, fleeing the floodwaters. And oh, the police, ah, police, they the help. They here to help. And for those that don't know what happened on that bridge, go Google that story where, you know, I think some of them got convicted, then overturned. I, I may be mistaken on that, but the point is, is that they get us to to submit to that authority by way of the programming. And so that's why they don't want that, that particular department. What what if they really went after and put out to the public, if you know of anybody, any possible victims, please call this number and do further investigation. Well, perhaps a pattern will emerge where they should have, since they're so smart and they're in charge and they're investigators, how could one of, the, one of their own do this right under their noses? So again, they're protecting the brand, they're protecting themselves, they're protecting the institution of slavery. Now, just those additional thoughts. Thank you, right, brother. And uh, as I said before, I make an appeal to our people out there who are in law and law school and the legal field. Uh, please write some legislation, get a bill out there that makes it mandatory that any officer or even anybody involved with the criminal justice system who is charged for felony and or convicted must have their records reviewed, their arrest records reviewed, their involvement with cases reviewed, because it is painfully obvious that these people don't just start when you catch them. Right, so right. So please, I, I think, we Max, that we can do that. Max, I think what I wish to stress what you're saying, I don't know if people catching on to what you're saying, but what I'm getting from what you're saying is if this dude is willing to rape a child, what a... Man, you think he had a problem planting drugs right. on somebody or framing them for murder or, or anything like that? Man. <laughs> and there's innocent people out there that need our help right now that have been subject to people like this. If, like you said, if you're willing to rape a child, you'll do anything, anything. So we need to review these records and see if there's any questionable arrests involved, any complaints involved that were overlooked because you thought he was a hero yesterday. But there are two other stories I did want to squeeze in before we call it an evening here and get in our final segments. Uh, I'll try to rush through it. Okay. Uh, it's okay with you, Scotty Reed? Yeah, go ahead, man. The first one is, as you know, we have been keeping an eye on the uh, state uh, initiative in Colorado to remove its exception clause. We pointed out that many states throughout this nation, a huge several dozen of them, uh, a couple dozen of them, have exception clauses in their state constitution that reflect the 13th Amendment's exception clause. Some of them are more extreme than others, like Georgia, which allows you to become a slave before contempt of court, and uh, Vermont, which allows you to be a slave for debt. So they, they have these exception clauses in there, and Colorado being one of the most uh, more progressive states in the union introduced a bill to take that exception clause out of their state constitution, and it apparently was defeated 51 to 49, which was very questionable to me to begin with. But now they're giving us a little bit of hope, and this came out last week. It says, it's from the Denver AP, and it says, a seemingly simple quote to eliminate an archaic an offensive reference to slavery as punishment for crimes in the Colorado Constitution may be doomed by lack of clarity. It seems like a no-brainer 
but a week after the vote, the confusingly written amendment is on the cusp of failing and lawmakers may be to blame. The Constitution was adopted before President Ulysses S. Grant proclaimed Colorado a state in 1876. Now, mind you, this didn't even become a state until... Uh, 11 years after the Emancipation Proclamation. Anyway, it declares that there shall be, there shall never be in this state either slavery or involuntary servitude, comma, except as a punishment for crime. Colorado legislature placed a measure to eliminate that language on the ballot. But a book explaining ballot measures to voters included arguments against it, even though there was no organized opposition. Out of nearly 2.3 million ballots cast, no is leading. It's possible the margin will be so close that the state will conduct a recount. Well, this was last week's news. I don't think that recount is coming. The hope sounds good, but I don't see it in reality. Uh, Again, we have been bamboozled and tricked to allow this illegal procedure to continue as illegal. So there's your news update on the Colorado initiative. But don't let that deter us. If you're out there, uh, work with uh, Lee Woods, for example, at CAPS. He's organizing people to get these exception clauses out of their state constitution. So big shout out to Lee Woods. And uh, if you're interested in uh, organizing with him, just look him up on Facebook, uh, CAPS. Uh, Committee Against Prison Slavery. Brother literally wrote the book on the 13th Amendment's exception. The other story that I want to get into is, you know, we don't just randomly throw words around calling this slavery and human trafficking as some form of metaphor. We literally mean this is slavery and human trafficking. And the Justice Department knows it, too. As a matter of fact, they have said as much clearly, but for some reason, people don't seem to get it. Here's the newest one from the Washington Post, and it says, The nation's top law enforcement official on Tuesday called for a recalibration of the nation's justice system that for many people, she said, is not a guarantee of equality, but an obstacle to opportunity. Wow. (laughs) Attorney General Loretta E. Lynch urged leaders in the legal profession to overhaul court fees, fines, and a money bail system that can lead to a cycle of debt, incarceration, and poverty for those who cannot afford to pay. When we be now quote this woman, because this is what she means. When we begin to treat defendants as cash registers rather than citizens, we do more damage to the fabric of our institutions. That's what she means. Like, we are literally using people as cash registers. Every one of us is worth X amount of dollars to the prison system and keeping people employed and operating that very system which imprisons us. Lynch told a crowd of judges, lawyers, and law clerks gathered for an annual lecture at the U.S. District Court in Washington, a few blocks from the U.S. Capitol, we stain the sanctity of our laws, and we only tighten the shackles of those struggling to break the chains of poverty. Man, you could just change poverty to slavery, and she'd be right on point. Lynch, the first African-American woman to lead the Justice Department, has used her post to try and prove strain relations between residents and police after a number of high-profile police shootings of unarmed African-Americans throughout the country. The Obama administration Justice Department has also been aggressive in opening civil rights investigations into police departments and has negotiated consent decrees that require local leaders to implement significant and sometimes costly reforms. There's more to this story. I'm not going to read it all. You can check it out on New Abolitionist Radio. I'm taking it for a word. She means it. 
that literally we are using human beings as living cash registers and their incarceration is the fuel that allows these currencies to flow globally. Well, her words mean Those nothing to stories me. Her words mean nothing to me because it lacks action. Yeah, paper tigers, paper tigers. I mean, it was in the Ferguson I report. I don't even know who Listen, that Ferguson <laughs> report birthed uh, America is Ferguson, right? What was he talking yes. about in that report? Slavery and human traffic, using fines, fees, money bills, incarceration in order to fund the uh, economic advancements of those communities and all of it on the blacks, backs of minorities, particularly on the backs of black people, where they were hunting them, uh, finding uh, them and uh, applying yeah. fees and charges to the point where the nearby city of uh, Country Club had an average of three warrants for every single citizen in that uh, town. Amazing. Yeah, also three warrants the, per person. Also in the Ferguson report, mm-hmm. did it not mention violation of federal law? They they clearly said in the Ferguson report that the uh, the Constitution had been violated in several areas. No, but they didn't say Constitution. Think- they said federal statutes laws while yeah it was violating the supreme law that they say is the supreme law of this land but it mentioned uh, statutes specific federal statutes although it didn't name those statutes like I can tell you what Hillary Clinton did violated the espionage act and the federal records act they did not name what statute in that report that Ferguson officials and I'm saying everybody involved in a municipal government because it was a conspiracy. It mentioned statutes being violated. That's when we first came up with the concept of RICO, putting RICO mm-hmm. charges on these people, right? But was anybody prosecuted? Mm-hmm. Was anybody prosecuted for federal no. statutes mentioned no. in this report? The most they were told that they had to resign or step down. A couple people were terminated from clerical uh, positions within the So, county. her words on her way out the door mean nothing to me. Can I chime in, brothers? Yes, yes, certainly. Go ahead. I wanted to touch on what you just discussed when uh, Loretta Lynch uh, said, uh, t- or said basically that when you use human beings as cash registers, that really intimately ties, again, prison to slavery because the term buck actually was not just used in the sexual sense as far as black men being used as bucks, but it also was the fact that our ancestors were money. So whenever they would sell slaves, they would call it passing the buck. And there's a great book by, uh, uh, his name is Mr. Sublet, I forget his first name, he was on the cows, it's called The Half Has Never Been Told, and he gets into the fact that the entire global currency system that we're dealing with today that China's trying to overturn by going back to the gold standard came from credit that was based on the sale of our ancestors. And that term buck was specifically used to denote the fact that our ancestors were physical and literal money. So when she's talking about that cash register aspect, again, it has to do with them being bucks and being worth money. 
just like you said, in the fact that, you know, for every one person they have in jail, they get X amount of money that they make off of that slave through free labor, through the fact that they're housing them, the entire prison industrial complex with the, the you know, the, the lawyers, the judges, the wardens, the, the um, parole officers, the correction officers. We are the economic engine. We are still bucks. We are still dollars and cents to these Ross, people. I've said that. Slavery remains the number one pillar of the uh, U.S. economy. And people say, well, it's capitalism. Well, I identified in some papers of Thomas Jefferson where he described his victims as capital. Absolutely. And matter of fact, it's funny because I actually don't use the term buck once I found out that, that you know, that, that was the reason that that term became uh, a vernacular term was due to the fact that our ancestors were sold. And matter of fact, in the most recent variation of the root of the movie Roots, they actually had a, a part in the movie where they discussed uh, uh, there was a like a, a mild rebellion on one of the plantations, and they stole a daughter away from her mother. And they actually described it in exactly those terms that they they were um they used basically the term buck, but they used the, the connotation was basically that we are money. And when they're getting rid of us, they take dollars in for our physical bodies and the labor that we produce. So it's, it's, it's a nauseating system, but it's something that we really, really should think about heavily because you're absolutely correct. You know, that's one of the major pillars. I think anti-blackness is the other one. You know, black people hating on other black people or non-white people, you know, mistreating and, and, and um, abusing other non-white people is, is, is the one half. And the prison industrial complex slash uh, slavery system is the other is the other pillar for sure. I agree with you. Thank well, you. what one half is being into. Standing, yeah, one, I'm let literally me just say sitting this. right now with money from North Carolina that I received in North Charleston that has an image of a slave bearing a bale of cotton. That was what they found valuable. It's one of the things I've collected over the years, but it's currency from North Carolina, a five dollar bill with an image of a slave carrying a cotton. That wow. was their version wow. uh, of wealth. It showed what you the wealth post was. A picture of that. Yeah, you should post a picture of that. Uh, I, I just have I would a, love to see that. A collection of I'll share it on New Abolitionist Radio. Hey, um before Thanks. we move on to um um we could skip the abolitionists in, in profile, um, but Okay. Yeah, we'll say the abolitionist in profile is Max Parthis because he put down some serious <laughs> abolitionist work at that conference in, in Columbia, South Carolina, and, and he didn't bite his tongue, he didn't stutter, and um, and he spoke truth to power. So Max is our abolitionist in profile tonight. If I had a... Um, 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 what do they call it? An applause uh, sound effect handy? I will give you applause. So thank you, bro. Thank you, fellas. Uh, thank you. Uh, all right. Well, that leaves us our rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad. Our rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad this week is Anthony Hinton, who, uh, Anthony Ray Hinton, who was exonerated after spending nearly 30 years on Alabama's death row. He was released on April 3rd, 2015. Hinton was convicted of the 1985 murder of two fast food restaurant managers based upon the testimony of a state forensic examiner that the bullets in the two murders came from a gun found in Hinton's house. The prosecutor, who had a documented history of racial bias, wow, said he could tell Hinton was guilty and evil just by looking at him. 
Hicken was arrested after a victim in a similar crime identified him in a photo lineup, even though Hinton had been working in a locked warehouse 15 miles away when the crime was committed. Hinton's lawyer did not know the law and mistakenly believed that funding to hire a qualified firearms expert was not available. Instead, he hired an expert he knew to be inadequate, and as a result, failed to present any credible evidence to rebuke the state's claim that the bullets were fired from Hinton's gun. In 2002, three top firearm examiners testified that the bullets could not be matched to Hinton's gun and may not have come from uh, a single gun at all. In 2014, the U.S. Supreme Court unanimously held that Hinton had been provided substandard representation and returned his case to the state courts for further proceedings. Prosecutors decided not to retry him after the state's new experts said that they could not link the bullets to Hinton's guns. Uh, Brian Stevenson, who we spoke of earlier, Hinton's lead attorney, said race poverty, inadequate legal assistance, and prosecutorial indifference to innocence conspired to create a textbook example of injustice. I can't think of a case that more urgently dramatizes the need for reform than what has happened to Anthony Ray Hickman. Press release of Equal Justice Initiative wins release of Anthony Ray Hinton, Equal Justice Initiative, April 2nd, 2015. You can check that out on New Abolitionist Radio when we hear Salute you and welcome you to freedom, Brother Hinton. Salute, welcome to freedom. Join welcome the abolitionist freedom, movement. Jam, just that's the um, advice I would give to him. Again, it points out the simplicity of what's occurring. You've got a racist prosecutor. Ninety-five percent of all prosecutors are white. Seventy-nine percent of them are white men. So you've got this racist prosecutor who is willing to do anything in order to convict this evil black man that he sees. And then uh, you have defense that is not even capable of defending anything. They're just not equipped. They don't know anything. They're underfunded, undereducated. Some of them are there as uh, tax lawyers who are uh, helping to deal with murder charges. So uh, it seems to be in a position where we've set people up to be incarcerated. By any means necessary. See, they operate on that principle, too. Word. So, well, we're, we're at a, the end of our program. We want to thank our caller, Roz, for participating, as usual, and everybody who's listening today, both here in the United States and globally. Uh, we certainly need a movement to end this modern-day slavery and human trafficking. But first, as I've always said, you got to start by changing your mind. You can't address this thing as you've always addressed it. You can't just make a slight curve. If you ever decide that this is slavery and that slavery is a crime against humanity, your entire argument needs to be changed and reconstructed for a different cause. Scotty, you want to close us out with anything? In slavery... And slavery. <laughs> All right, well, I'm with you on that. And I think I'd like to speak for uh, Brother Yohanan, who wasn't able to make it here tonight. I'm sure he would be if he could be. But uh, death to the oppressors and uh, peace to the abolitionists. And remember that abolition is a reason for a revolution. So we can finally know some damn peace. Peace. Rise up, rise up, rise up. Rise up, 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 rise up
Let your wise rise up. See the signs of the times. If it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff, porn, and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up.